The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations Be present The Diane Ray Show Hi everybody, thanks for tuning in today and joining me for the show And happy uh, pre-Thanksgiving. You might be getting ready for it, expecting friends and family to be coming in. We're actually expecting some rain here in Southern California, which freaks people out (laughs) because it never rains here. So it'll be interesting, an interesting Thanksgiving. I can't remember the last time it did rain in California for Thanksgiving. So whatever you're doing, I hope you have a fabulous holiday, and I'm so glad you could tune in and join me here today for the show. So one of my favorite memories growing up that I just want to share with you is I would ride my bicycle when I was about nine or 10, maybe even earlier, to this neighborhood used bookstore, and I would just sit in the corner there, usually on, on Saturdays. And I would just read and read and read to my heart's content. And they left me alone. They let me sit there for hours. And I just loved it. I mean, one of my favorite things to do as a kid was read. And it still is to this day. I'm I'm a huge bookworm. I love real books. I also read some stuff on Kindle, but I still love a book. And I love magazines. And I just love to read. So I'm really happy to welcome my guest today because she's a children's book author and I'm assuming she loves to read too. And she's created a beautiful world of children's books here that I'm going to introduce you to. And we're going to talk about uh, instilling the love of reading with kids, which is a great subject and just brings back great memories for me. And also her journey of becoming a children's book author and, and what she's working on. So we're going to be talking with Donna Sager Cowan today. And I've been spending some time with her book series, the Superhero School series. So I wanted to bring her on and chat about that. So Donna, thank you so much for being available today, pre-Thanksgiving and joining me for the show. Well, you know, I think I, I love the holidays. I love, you know, that actually, you know, kids are out of school this week so they can listen into this. So I'm so excited to do this. And I always want to make myself available to my listeners and readers. Well, I have to thank our friendly PR guy, Jonathan uh, Massilionis. I, I hope I'm saying his name right. <laughs> it, I never asked him it, to pronounce it for me. It's Massilionis. Massilionis. Okay. So I've been working with him and he's been sending me some great information and introducing me to great people like you. And he is really excited about this project that you're working on. So I wanted to talk to you first about kind of the process of of being an author and a children's book author and what drew you to this project? What drew you to do this? 
Well, I have been writing pretty much my whole life. You know, as a young child, I was pretty much, you know, introverted, very shy. I was the youngest child in a, in a large family. And by the time they got to me, everybody was past the, the you know, cute baby stage. And, you know, so I was kind of left on my own a lot. And so I kind of created my own little world. And, you know, to expand that world, you know, was this discovery of books, you know, and the stories that they had in. And it's like all these amazing adventures that I could take on, you know, and it wasn't too long into it that, you know, I decided to start trying to create my own little adventures out of my imagination. So I've been writing for, you know, a very long time. I'm we're not going to give you an actual number. Let's just say it's a very long time. And um, so I've been doing that and really not going anywhere with it. It's just kind of something I did for myself. And then um, when my grandchildren came along, you know, they, they loved me telling them stories. And it was kind of this uh, tradition that we created when um, they would stay that I would uh, make up bedtime stories for them. Occasionally I'd read one, but most of the time I made them up. And this um, particular night, my granddaughter, we were getting ready for bed and she was asking me, why, you know, my cats go out at night and what did I think they were doing all night long because they'd come back later and they're just exhausted. And I'm like, I don't know. So a few weeks later, I came up with this story about she was a superhero and she's out saving her animal friends. And they absolutely loved that story. And it became the basis for this series because we had to go back to the beginning of how she became a superhero. And there we have the superhero series begin. That's so cute. I love that idea. And I love cats too. I have two cats of my own, so I could imagine them wishing they could be superheroes. <laughs> Although I don't let mine outside uh, here just in this neighborhood, but I used to um, with other cats that I've had in the past. So I can imagine they have their own little world and you are you were able to create kind of a magical world that uh, the cats and, the, and their other animal friends are participating in. So I think that was so cute. So this is the first one of the series, the book that I'm just reading right now with The Courage of a Mouse. And so you were always writing stories growing up, right? So this mm -hmm. was just something that kind of, you know, took off from that, that grew from that. Right. For me, writing is is pretty much just an extension of reading because, you know, I as a young child, I mean, you know, you rode a bicycle to a used um, bookstore. You know, I didn't have a bicycle, so we walked to the library, but it was quite a ways away. So I didn't get to go often because going by myself was not not really allowed. So I had to find out other ways to have adventures when I couldn't get to books. And so I just started writing my own adventures so that I had something in between being able to access books. And just creating worlds on your own. Right. I, rem I remember doing that as mm -hmm. well. I always loved, you know, the fantasy stories and kings and queens and sci-fi and all of that kind of stuff. It's so fun. But one of the themes that I wanted to to touch on is that you're, it's really important to you to create an affirming environment for our children. And the theme pops up, at least it's come up a lot in this first book that I'm reading with mm -hmm. the courage of a mouse. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, as we talked about, you know, these books that we read as children, they kind of create 
you know, the foundation for who we're going to become. You know, we think about those characters and the trials and the problems that they go through and how they overcome those. And, you know, even nowadays, more than ever, you know, with the diverse look at the issues and the challenges and the the themes that are out there available through books, you know, they can help these kids relate to those valuable lessons and the ways to dissect and discover a way to meet those challenges and issues head on. We can find those answers, you know, that are so rarely discussed anymore. We don't have time. Kids are, you know, hit from every direction with information in, you know, just short, short little speak. And it doesn't take the time to actually go from beginning to end in the way that a story, a story has been uniquely left alone to have a beginning, a middle and an end. It takes you from the problem through the issues until there is a clear resolution or solution. And I think that that more than ever gives kids that foundation that they need to to build up their personalities, especially I love this age that I'm writing for, which is middle grade, um, which is the seven to 12 year olds. And it's because they are just figuring out that they get to make decisions, that they get to have choices. And along with doing that, they have some personal responsibility. And so the stories get to the heart of the problems and the things that they face, even though they're small, they're big to them. And it teaches them how to figure out a way around through or over the, the challenges and issues that they, that they face in a positive way. Well, I'd like to talk about that, that age group, um, in particular, because I have a nephew who's just 12 years old. And what do you think really of the future of children's books and where is it going to go? Because I'm seeing his generation, you know, they're not, I don't think I've ever seen him really pick up a book or read. I mean, not like I used to when I was a kid, you know, and I think back to some of the books that I really loved, like, you know, probably at his age, I was reading Nancy Drew, you know, I read all of the, I love those books. I read all Mm -hmm. of them, you know, and I read like A Wrinkle in Time and A Wind in the Door and the Madeline L. Engel stuff. And I mean, do you think that with the generation now is, is the future bright for, for children's books or is it just presenting it in a different way that that generation can understand? Cause you do touch on that in the book, like the characters have phones, you know, mm-hmm. they, they use modern technology. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of bringing that into the world, into that world, well, into the fantasy yeah. world. Right. And I don't think that, you know, we can separate that. I mean, that as as an author, you know, I have to recognize that is the world they're living in. And so that is what they're going to connect to. They're not going to connect to a world that, you know, doesn't have any kind of electronics because it's it's a big part of their lives. But also, I think that if you give them, um, you know, enough environment that they're going to want to continue to read. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a very fast pace to the story, to the entire book. And there's a purpose to that because we do want them to feel progression through the book. So it doesn't feel like a daunting task because you're right. They don't read um, as much as we did growing up or as much as even our children 
um, did growing up or my children anyway. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's sad, but, you know, we all live in such a busy, hurried up world that we don't often take time. And, you know, that's what I try to tell parents is like, you know, we do need to pull our kids back and give them that quiet moment, even if it's only a 20 minute read a day. They need that to reset all of their energy levels, because if you know, if you're at maximum capacity of energy output for, you know, all day long, you're going to be exhausted and it's, you know, it's not going to take you long before you can't, um, you know, you can't take anything in because you're so depleted. And so that's what I tell parents. It's like, you know, yes, these kids don't really want to read because it's so much easier to watch a video or watch a, a television show or watch, you know, something on, you know, a, a game or something like that. But they still need that quiet thinking time where there's no energy being depleted and they're not being bombarded by lights, bells, and whistles to actually be quiet and think and absorb and recharge themselves and and still go on an adventure and be entertained. Right. That's an important message to share. And I agree with you. I mean, I'm seeing also in some schools where meditation techniques are being introduced and, and kids are being taught, you know, to take some quiet time and you know, reflect or or just do nothing, you know, so you're right. I think it's important. And it's such a great bonding experience. I mean, I used to love when, you know, my parents would would read to me and my mother was a school teacher and she introduced me to, a, a, you know, a lot of those books and, and those classics. And I hope that those experiences aren't lost forever. I mean, maybe it'll just change you know, and, and obviously won't won't be the same. But I mean, maybe the the art of sharing stories, you know, I'm mean, sure that'll continue forever until the end of time. I mean, I think that's just an important way that we communicate, you know, as humans that we we like to share stories. So it's it's just interesting, like the way kids consume things differently today. But I think that a lot of the lessons that you're sharing in the stories, at least in this first one that I've that I've read, are pretty universal. I mean, these things come up, you know, feelings of um, being left out or feelings of being picked on or, or bullied. I mean, those, those things will always continue, I'm sure. Right. Yes. And, you know, and it's not that we, we have gone away completely from it. It's, you know, what I see as the trend is, you know, the parents really are taking the time to read with their kids, you know, um, early on, you know, they had, you know, a, a very positive, you know, uh, reinforcement of, you know, first five and, you know, how important it is to read to your kids. And I do see the trend where parents are doing that. Unfortunately, what is happening is once they get into school and they hit this middle grade range of about seven years of age, they start to be able to read independently. And <clears throat> unfortunately, parents tend to take a giant step back and just go, okay, they're good. I don't need to be involved in this. And I caution them in saying that, yes, you do need to take a step back and do let them be, you know, self-motivating and um, self-reliant as far as reading. But I still think we um, need to make that time to, to share that with them because it's important. You know, it establishes, you know, 
feelings of comfort and security when you know we establish boundaries and guidelines and we share these things and we take those moments even if we aren't 100% involved in what they're doing but just checking in with them talking to them about what they're doing whether it's their homework whether it's a story they're reading whether it's you know how they're doing with their friends these are things and um, the reason I bring up a lot of these subjects in my book is because I do also see the trend that the parents don't really have the time to sit down at the dinner table and discuss all of these varying problems with their children. And it's not that they don't want to, but that they just really are overwhelmed. And so a lot of times these kids are kind of left out there on their own with misconceptions and, you know, talking to their peers and maybe they have misconceptions. And so, you know, it's really easy for them to draw the wrong conclusion or to misstep. And that's why I really wanted this series to be, you know, an adventure story, but I wanted them to see how that if they would just take that second to think about it, that they would actually know the answer. You know, the whole point of the Superhero School series is to let them know they really don't need a school to be a superhero. They had everything they needed inside already. Right. And I really love how that message comes through in the story. And I'm sure it continues through, this, through the series. I've just read the first one. But right. I I really love how that that message comes through and that they're worthy. And I was just curious of some of the children's books that you might've read when you were a kid, like, is there one, one or two that stand out that maybe were inspirations? Well, you know, I absolutely, I, th I think the reason that I went with animal characters is because when I was um, probably about seven or eight years old, I started the um, Borrowers series. Um, I don't know if you would remember it, but it was about oh, sure. a, a mouse family that lived under the floorboards, in, you know, in a, in a kitchen and, and all of the things that they would borrow to make their lives, um, you know, easier. And so I, I really love that series and it really did make an impression on me. So when anytime I wanted to work on children's books or, you know, children's series, I always felt like, you know, the, the animal characters were easy and the reason I think that is because the, you know, the character, the animal character can be any animal, but still kids can see themselves in it. They don't have to look at the cast of characters and say, well, I don't see my nationality or I don't see my, you know, my um, economic um, background or I don't see my my country or, you know, my beliefs or anything there it's it it creates diversity because they are different but they are the same um and then again there was another book that i read when i was about 11 years old and it it wasn't really rated for me but i was kind of reading as fast as i could and i came across this book called the man in the box now it is about um, a man that was captured during the vietnam war which was you know um, as a child, that was uh, very prevalent for me um, that was going on at that time. And so I read this story and 
it wasn't so much what the story was about, but that it was from the point of view that somebody that had never written before. And it was such a conversational, easy style compared to most of the other books that I read that this was something that really made me want to be a writer. Oh, that's so interesting. I love to hear influences and where those things come from. You know, it's it's great to hear other people's points of view. I thought maybe you would say Stuart Little, because that was one of my favorites growing up. Well, yeah, Stuart Little was in there. I absolutely love the Geronimo Stilton series. Those, I I just, you know, I think I have a pretty wild imagination, but, but his kind of, uh, you know, outdoes mine. <laughs> but, but I do love it, you know. Me, I, I really don't have too many favorites, but I do tend to like the animal characters. I love Alice in Wonderland. I mean, it is such a wonderful story. And it's like, I really wish I could crack the code because his book is transitional to all ages and it says something different to all ages. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm striving for maybe in my future. Right. Well, that's a great, definitely a great goal <laughs> because <laughs> those are classics. I mean, who wouldn't love love those? And of course, there's the theory that some people have that Lewis Carroll was an opium addict, which oh. I don't, maybe he was, I don't know. That kind of makes sense, you know, with some <laughs> of the, some of like the psychedelic imagery or weird stuff that might come up as you, as you read that book. But I'm, I'm not sure that's only in um, some biographies that I've, I've read or articles about Lewis Carroll, but I, I did, I've always loved that series as well. Um, and the Wizard of Oz and even the other um, books in the Wizard of Oz series, not just that main character. There were also other books too, you know, right, besides yes. that. But yeah, mm -hmm. I loved all of um, all of those stories. So it's great that you draw from that. I'm talking to Donna Sager-Cowan about her inspiration for the Superhero School series, which is just so charming and cute. And I love the artwork. And I, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about that, about the artists that you worked with. Well, you know, I, it's funny. I get asked that a lot. They're like, well, how did you find your illustrator? I found her on Instagram, you know, and it just goes to show you that, you know, even at my age, you know, social media has, you know, a multitude of uses. So, and I, I did find out that she actually doesn't live that far from me, but um, Diane has, you know, she was a, a jewelry designer for years and she retired. Um, she holds several art degrees and she always wanted to illustrate a children's book. So we got together and worked on this. And she is absolutely amazing. It astounds me how she's able to take my words and put them into such interesting visuals that really do tell and enhance the story. Well, they're so cute and so colorful. She really did such a great job. And that's got to be an interesting collaboration, too, with you, between you as the writer and her as the artist. Was it was it pretty, uh, you know, hassle-free as far as that collaboration? Like, there wasn't something that came up that, oh, no, that picture would never work or <laughs> something like that. You know, just that process of working with someone closely on a, a project like that. Well, actually, you know, we don't have too much of that. I mean, we do have like little, you know, sometimes a few details, you know, need to be added or taken out. Um, but we don't have too much of that. She's so good at what she does is I just I just kind of give her, you know, a sentence or two about how I sort of see, you know, the illustration 
you know, because it's a little bit different for my books because they are middle grade chapter books. So we don't have fully illustrated like most typical picture books for kids, which are primarily, you know, um, pictures with words. This is actually a chapter book where we have added, you know, um, illustrations. We add one illustration for each chapter through the book. And it's just kind of creating a transition for these kids to get, you know, from the picture books into the longer story books with, you know, with some some visual aid to help them through the story. But, you know, Diane has been amazing. I mean, we've had more other outside influential issues than we've had communicating and getting these um you know, illustrations done. I mean, you know, the, um, when we were working on the first book, you know, she, um, had a stroke and went into a coma for approximately, you know, three months. And then when wow. she woke up, yeah, when she woke up, she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she couldn't draw. And it was like, Oh my. <laughs> so, but you know, she was absolute trooper and, you know, she, she went through all of the physical therapy and everything that was necessary. And with, you know, within five months, she had the illustrations done for book one. I was astounded. I was just amazed that she was able to do that. You know, and then, you know, coming into the second book, we, you know, we had just started working on the illustrations for the second book. And, you know, she's had some additional health issues and, um, you know, um, a cancer diagnosis, although they did catch it early. So she is going through treatment and she does seem to be fine. But, you know, it does kind of you know, kind of upset the apple cart a little bit. But, you know, she is such a trooper and she does come through. And I'm always amazed when I see these illustrations at how wonderful, how colorful they are and how well they fit into the story. Wow. I mean, that's, that's quite the journey just with the pictures. That's amazing. I mean, after, you know, coming out of a, a coma and then being able to continue to work on the project, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and being able to, uh, you know, find someone on Instagram. <laughs> that's great. You know, have you em embraced that social media? And I know you're on all the channels. You're on Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, Instagram. Yeah I, yeah, I do try to do that. I, you know, I probably don't do it as effectively as I would like to, but you know, sometimes that works to my benefit because I'm, you know, I'm a grandma. I'm, you know, I'm running around there and I'm trying to do, you know, everything that I'm supposed to be. It's quite funny. I have to call my grandkids. It's like, can you, can you explain again how I'm supposed to do this? <laughs> so, I mean, that's fun, but it's actually a bonding experience where they're, you know, they've had me teach them so many things over the year. Now they get to kind of reverse that and teach me a few things, but that's okay. Cause you know, I think just stumbling backwards sometimes into things works better and teaches bigger lessons than if you had just sat and studied all of it and then tried it. Right. That's so true. Well, we're going to take a short break. We've got some more uh, conversation here. If you'd like to join us, uh, give us a call 816-251-3555. I am live. I'm Diane Ray. This is Be Present. Thanks so much for listening on unityonlineradio.org. We'll be right back. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks so much for joining me after the break. I'm Diane Ray, and we're just having a great conversation here with children's book author Donna Sager Cowan. And I'm talking about the Superhero School series that she has created. And I just read uh, book one with the courage of a mouse, and there's more planned in this series. And just really teaching some really amazing lessons for kids also in in a fun and and colorful story. And we were just chatting a little bit uh, during the break here. So I wanted to ask you, what would you say to new writers or to aspiring children's book writers who have a great idea? Like this really started just with the, the seed of an idea that you had just in a conversation with one of your grandchildren and you kind of took it from that place to a reality which is a big deal. A lot of people don't get that far, you know, they just will give up, you know? So what would you say to people that are thinking about taking their idea and making a creation like this? Well, first I have to say that, you know, being a writer is about telling a great story. You don't have to use, you know, a large vocabulary or, you know, anything intricate. It's telling the story. It is about getting those characters to speak and relate to your reader. And that's the second thing that I would tell them. You know, use, you know, use your writing as a conversation between you and who you see as the perfect person to hear your story or read your story. Because if you approach your writing as relaying information or a story to that person, then it's just going to flow and you're not going to have to worry about word choice or whether or not it's going to connect because it will, because it's coming through you and from your heart. And the third thing is don't give up. It's hard. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes perseverance. But in the end, When I have a kid come up to me, like the one in Los Angeles from the Midnight Mission Home Light Program, to tell me that my words in my book gave him the words that he needed to explain to his friends what it was like being a kid that was homeless. That right there made every single hour I agonized over this book and this series worth it and paid me for anything I could ever make in my lifetime. That's amazing to get that kind of feedback and know that you touched that kid. Um, that would def- that would be worth it for me, for sure. Um, I mean, just to hear that back is, is really incredible. Um, and it's hard though, right? You said, I mean, there are a lot of challenges and, and I've spoken to a lot of aspiring writers in the past. I mean, what would you say is the biggest challenge Is it just not giving up? That's probably it, right? Just not wanting to throw in the towel. Well, I think actually for most of them, it is the the sense of not giving themselves credit or permission. You know, they are so worried that this is something that they need to do in secret and that it isn't something that is worthy uh, of anybody else's notice and they need to stop. What they're doing has value. What they're doing, even if they never actually publish a book, they're learning something. It is an ongoing education, even if it's just for themselves. 
Right. That's true. So don't give up. Definitely stick it out and have your dream become a reality. And I wanted to talk about some of the themes that came up as I was reading through the book, because we were talking a little bit in the previous segment just about the audience, you know, kind of, you know, first of all, you're you're trying to get a kid's attention when they're on their phone and they're, you know, they're involved in all this other stuff. I mean, just it's different. You know, the way kids are growing up now is really different from when when you and I were were kids and, and growing up and they're facing some real challenges. And and it is it's a scary world out there. And some of the themes that kids are dealing with come up in the book. Like I thought the relationship between Simon and Kat was really was really great the way you presented it, you know, and and the themes of tolerance and welcoming each other's differences, but still being friends. Um, you know, what was your what was your thinking behind that? Well, you know, we're so many children have, you know, taught prejudices and it's not, you know, we don't do it consciously. It's the way we react and interact and the things that we say when we think we're in private. And I have to remind you, your children always notice everything that you do and say you are their example that they're trying to emulate. So they unconsciously develop these ideas about what is and what isn't acceptable. And I wanted to first look at that and say, just because somebody looks different or just because somebody comes from a different background or just because somebody somewhere said that they had to be enemies doesn't apply to those two individuals. They are individuals. They can be friends. They can figure out a way to work together. And what we find through the first book with Simon and Kat is that not only do they come from two completely different backgrounds and experiences in their life, but they help each other realize what they're missing in their lives, but they also help the other one realize how much they do have in their life and that they should be thankful for. Right. It's an important lesson. I thought it was really well illustrated in the story and, you know, that between the relationship, you know, between those two characters, it's so cute because you're right. Those things are taught and, and kids pick it up and they're, you know, a lot of times they're not really going to question, you know, it's what you say and, and also what you don't say too, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, I'm sure they're picking up on your, your feelings, your emotions, you know, your energy, all of those things. So people have to really, really be careful. Well, and, and it's, you know, and it's mostly even as adults, we do it unconsciously. You know, if you're your mother walking along a sidewalk with your children and, you know, you see a man sleeping on the side of the sidewalk, you know, your sense is to protect your children and maybe cross the street or hurry them past or something. But you never know how your child interprets that. Are they interpreting that that men are dangerous? Are they interpreting that men sleeping are dangerous or, you know, somebody that's rugged or dirty is dangerous? And, And so even though you're doing it from a good place, you know, if they never have the conversation with those children as to why they did what they did, then they may pick up different reasoning for why you did that and create an unconscious prejudice that we don't even realize that they picked up on. Right. 
And there's also the lesson of of acceptance, you know, not jumping to conclusions, you know, really thinking these through. I mean, these are important lessons to share as well. Um, I mean, and for the age group, and Mm -hmm. you don't think that's not, I mean, I don't think that's too abstract, you know, to, to teach kids. I mean, no, I we have to start early, right? Right. And I don't, and we do try to keep it simple because a lot of times in, in the first book, a lot of the, um, Jumping conclusions are, you know, the inner thought that Kat or Simon have based on their experiences, not what is actually happening. So this is their, you know, they've had a bad experience with something in their life. And so they immediately jump to the conclusion that it's always going to end that way instead of actually looking at what's happening. We also have this misinterpretation of what they're saying to each other. They're so busy trying to tell the other one what they think that they're not actually listening to what um, the other part of them is trying to tell them. So there is the active listening in there, too, that is part of why we have the miscommunication and the jumping to conclusion and the non-active listening where they're so busy coming up with the answer, they don't hear the question. Right. And just kind of along those lines, I thought the character of of Ricky Rent the Mouse um, was, was very interesting. And how did you come up with that character? Well, you know, Ricky just kind of came out as I was writing the first book. He was not even a planned character. He just came out as this little character that was following Kat around. And when I started writing that, I couldn't figure out exactly why he was following Kat. And then it it came out why, you know, he's he's jealous of Simon. And, um, you know, he has a bigger part in the second book um, with Curiosity of a Cat, where they continue on the story. And I really think that Ricky Rent is going to end up with his own series. I think he's going to come up with his own series of Ricky Ranch Street Rat. <laughs> I, I like that. That's in, that's interesting. Uh, you know how these characters will grow and evolve, and and you're not even sure, right? I mean, how how that will happen? It'll, well, it'll just come to you. Well, yeah, it's like I I actually am working on an outline for that, so we're going to see if that's going to work. Well, I think that's great. You should definitely do that. And I thought okay. that character jump kind of jumped out at me, and you know, like I was kind of looking for the, the hidden meanings or the lessons, you know, uh-huh. with, with the characters throughout the story. And I, I thought it was great with that particular character, you know, cause I noticed with kids, like with my, my nephew, and I'm sure I was the same way, although I probably wouldn't want to admit it today, you know, that there's a lot of, oh, well, that kid has things that I don't have, you know, why, why can't I have that? You know, everything is the labels and, you know, mm-hmm. polo shirts. Like for me and my sister, we would fight over guest jeans, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it, it was interesting to to see that and address that, you know, and maybe also to give kids the idea of, look, you know, since we are you know, approaching Thanksgiving, you know, be grateful for for what you have. You know, a lot of other kids might not have what you have and to be, to show more compassion. And there's a lot of compassion in, in this story. Well, and, you know, I often find what what the real message that I wanted to to get across with the Ricky Rent character was, yes, he's jealous, 
But what he ultimately finds out is that Simon doesn't have this magical life that he imagines that he does. You know, for all the things that he does have, he has just as many problems and as many challenges as Ricky has, just in a different way. Right. And that's an important thing to bring up for kids. Right, because it's, you know, yes, that that kid may have all of the material label items that you want, but they may not have parents that take time to sit down and have dinner with them or, you know, read a story with them or, you know, even make sure that they get a, a good dinner at night or, you know, maybe they're being shuffled from, you know, this back and forth between parents or maybe they're being raised by a grandparent or, you know, maybe they're, they're you know, in a foster home. You never know until you go talk to or make a connection with that person what it is that that they do have versus what they don't have because a lot of times what i find with you know these kids that when they have all of these things that somebody's looking at it's because they're trying to hide something they don't want them to look at Mm, that's true That's, that's very interesting and in the in the book as well there's the theme of you are worthy you know you have value and and i love that 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 theme and that message came through in in the book, and I'm sure we'll continue on in the other books in the series. And what I mean, obviously, that's really important. But why why did you feel that you really wanted kids to realize that? Well, you know, like I said, for this particular age group, they are just stepping outside of the comfort and circle of you know, being guided almost 100% by their parents. They are starting to make choices and decisions and friendships outside on their own, based on their own thoughts and ideas. And so it's really easy to, you know, misstep and to make poor choices. And as, you know, as we grow old, when you think about yourself as an adult, Everything that you do, every choice you make, every decision, the jobs that you pursue, the friends you have, where you live, the way you dress is all directly related to your sense of self-worth or value. So if we don't catch these kids at a young age and get them to recognize and give them the right building blocks to assess value and self-worth, then they are going to be constantly chasing what they think they don't have instead of coming from a place of, I have enough, I just want to get better. It really has to be instilled and, and reinforced because it seems like with the environment that we're in now, I mean, I think to bat back when I was a kid, I mean, we didn't have bullying on Facebook and and kids weren't able to, you know, rip you apart online for all your friends to see. And the worst thing we, I don't know if you had this, but we had these things called slam books. It was like the, the precursor to Facebook where you would, you know, write stuff about a kid. I mean, but there were ways to really, you know, chip away at that, you know, and, and it's sad, but yeah, we really do have to help instill those feelings of self-worth and and that they are able to achieve things that 
that they could achieve. And I love the compassion in, in the, the story too, in this book, you know, having compassion for others. And I think that's something that really needs to be taught a lot more. Right. You know, and because it, again, it, it is one of the hallmarks of self-worth because what I do find most bullies have very poor sense of self-worth and self-value, which is why they're often lashing out at other people because they're not, you know, they're not trying to knock these people down. They're literally trying to drag them down to them. And so they, you know, compassion is one of the first things that goes out the window because in order to be that mean to another person, they can't see what life is like through their eyes. They can't see what they're doing to the other person. And so I think compassion, along with self-worth, is a very big bridge that we need to build for these kids in the beginning. Because if you look at everything from how would you feel if they were doing it to you, I think they would have a different reaction. I think they would handle these things differently. Now, will it stop bullying 100%? No. But if a person has a good sense of self-worth, if they have compassion, then I think they will begin to recognize at a very young age what that other person is actually crying out for help and not trying to hurt them personally. Right. And be able to put themselves in, in that person's shoes. Exactly. And, and have that, you know, have that compassion and awareness is it is, it's so important. And so moving forward with the series, I mean, how many, you're into book two, and is there book three in the works? Um, yes, I am actually working on book three. We just released book two um, a couple of weeks ago um, this month in November with The Curiosity of a Cat. Um, next year in 2020, probably around this time of year, we're going to release book three, which is the passion with the passion of a pig. And... Um, we have, you know, the four friends, you know, of course, Simon and Kat, and their, their two best friends, Patty and Freddie, and they're returning to superhero school for the class, but their patriarch, Mrs. G, is missing, along with their teacher, and the mayor doesn't seem to care, and he doesn't want to have to take time away from his overseeing, you know, the funding and building of the new school, and so they decide to go find her themselves. Now, Patty has tracked Mrs. G's last known um, coordinates to the portal that Kat came through when she came from the real world into Sweet Meadows. And they know it goes back to the human world because Kat has told them. Now, she's the only one that has any experience dealing with humans and based on her life. She doesn't think very highly of them and neither do her friends, but they're willing to risk their lives to go find Mrs. G. And so that's where our adventure begins in the third book. They go through the portal into the human world to find Mrs. G. Aha, uh -huh. there's our sneak preview. Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. That's so imaginative. And Thank you. I thought it was I thought it was funny in the in the first book it was just interesting that 
the teacher now, now I don't know in book two, I haven't read that one. If the, does the teacher actually appear because it seemed like it was a voice kind of like Charlie on Charlie's angels. Uh, well, yes, it is a voice. So they've actually never seen the teacher. They do know it is a female, but when they return to, to school in the third book, you know, the, the voice is not there. And so, um, you know, Patty's the one that brings that to their attention is, you know, they're, they're worried about Mrs. G, but she's like, but you know, our teacher wasn't there either. Um, you know, there's a reason, but, you know, so they think they're looking for two people. They think they have two people missing. And so they're, they're not quite sure how to go about finding the teacher because they don't know who she is. But they do know how to go find Mrs. G. But uh, it's interesting what they find in book three. And then, of course, we have book four coming out in 2021, which is the, with the ferocity of a frog, where um, Freddie Flickerson, the little tree frog, is going to come forward and have his story. And um, we do have it outlined all the way through eight books for this series. And again, you know, I'm working on a possible connected series with uh, Ricky Rent Street Rat. <laughs> That's so great. You can tell you really love these characters. Like you've, you've become uh, attached. Well, you're, you're their mom, I guess you could say. Uh, I, I am. I, I get to, you know, nurture them and send them off on these wild adventures and see what it is that they're going to learn and tell me about what they learn. So, yeah, it's 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 great. I, I get to have more kids all the way through my life. That's so fun. Yes. And would you hope to get this book series maybe available in schools in the school system? Have you explored that? Um, you know, at, at this point, I would love for the, the books to go into the school systems. Um, they are available. I do school visits. You know, if anybody wants to um, connect with me for a school visit, I do, you know, local school visits. Um, I have done some um, school visits from a distance, you know, via either, you know, Skype or Zoom or some, um, you know, electronic means. But I do often do those where I go into the school and talk to them about these um, different subjects. And I generally will, you know, donate some books to the school for their library. But I, I absolutely would love to to see these books put into the curriculum and um, the recommendation list from the teachers and librarians. I, I think I would love to see, um, you know, kids get something positive out of this series. And so you do readings. You're based out here in California on the West Coast. So you go to libraries or schools and and do book readings to kids like um, yeah, in actually, classrooms. Yeah, I do readings. Um, a lot of times I'll just do like a really short talk about um, some of the subjects that we've covered, some of the subjects that are covered in the book. Um a lot of times uh, I'll talk to them about, you know, how I came up with the story, how I, you know, work through being an author. It's like I, I give them a list of about 20 different topics that I can, you know, talk about and present and some activities. And mostly I love the part where I let the kids, you know, just ask me whatever they want. I try to be as open as I possibly can within reason and, um, you know, just answer the questions because I'm always amazed at what they find in the story. 
So you must get some great questions from the kids. <laughs> I can imagine I you know, what they would ask. And have the, uh, you know, has the response from parents been pretty good? Have they been uh, pretty positive? I, you know, the, the parents that I have been able to talk to that have read the book or, you know, to their kids or their kids have read the book, absolutely love it. I, you know, I have the most devoted parents and readers, you know, they, you know, if I can get them to read the book, they absolutely love it. They, you know, they, they will read it multiple times. I've had several of them that, you know, were just couldn't wait until the second book came out and, you know, they're impatiently waiting for book three. And, and that's amazing. I love that. I really, you know, would like more people to read the book. And to that end, I have the eBooks on sale. Oh, that's awesome. So can you share that with us can, where people can Abs go to get that? Absolutely. The ebooks are on sale at any ebook retailer. They are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, and any other ebook retailer that you use. The um, first book with the courage of a mouse is on sale um, for 99 cents right now through Christmas. And the second book, With the Curiosity of a Cat, is on sale for $1.99. Those are both the ebook versions. If you want the printed versions, they are available at any book retailer Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, Books a Million, Walmart. Just in time for the holidays. This is yeah. perfect. <laughs> this is so great. It's been so wonderful to talk with you and you're you're doing some amazing work. And it must just be so affirming for you and just make you feel good to know that, you know, you're putting something positive out in the world and it's being so well received by people. So I I look forward to see what you do next. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. So people can find you on Facebook, like I mentioned, on uh, Twitter, Instagram. You're out there so you can be found. <laughs> and uh, your stuff is available. Ebooks on sale now. Get yours just in time for the holidays. And I so appreciate you spending all this time with me today, Donna, and, and talking about your book and your passion. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I love, you know, I'm a talker. I love talking about all of this stuff. And I just want to let you know that if you forget any of these links, you can go to my website at DonnaSagerCowan.com and it's all there. All the links to the books, all the links to my social media, all the links to contact me for anything that you have. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.